Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Milan Sanders, who expressed that her birth plan was simply unmedicated birth, but in the hospital setting in a quiet room with just the grandmothers and the father of her child. Yet in the coming days of giving birth, she found herself trying to convince hospital staff that she was actually in labor and ultimately having an unplanned home birth. Hello, Milan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, yes. Happy to have you. Excited. So, Milan, can you start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Um, so, born and raised in California, um, actually in the Bay Area. I'm from Richmond, California. Uh, my daughter, Malia, she is now three. Um, her dad and I were together for um, about, I guess, maybe two and a half, three years. Um, we recently split, but nevertheless, we're, um, we're co-parenting, and we have a great co-parenting relationship. Um, I currently work in the healthcare setting, um, doing case management. And um, just enjoying motherhood. So can you tell us a little bit about what your pregnancy was like? My pregnancy was so rough. <laughs> uh, that's just like the one word that can define it was rough. Um, I wasn't in the mental state to even receive the fact that I was pregnant it wasn't something that I was expecting, but as my dad would say, you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. Um, and that's what happened. I got pregnant uh, my last semester of undergrad, and I was going to school on the East Coast by myself. I didn't have um, really any family support, um, and I was in a lot of leadership positions on campus. So between that, juggling, you know, last semester stuff and internship and also working, um, pregnancy was like the last thing on my list. And it was really rough because I was trying to juggle all those things. I was extremely sick the whole pregnancy in and out of the hospital for dehydration, especially the first trimester um, for me to go to the hospital and get an IV drip for two hours was almost like a weekly thing. Um, just because I couldn't keep anything down, uh, battling depression. And honestly, I wasn't even sure if this pregnancy was something I was going to go through. So that was another thing that I had to deal with. Um, like, is this something that I want right now? Is this something I'm even capable of doing? Um, so I was sick the whole 10 months um, after I graduated from Coppin State University. I moved back to California. Ideally, I wanted to work while pregnant um, because I never liked being dependent upon anyone. Um, but because of how sick I was and how rough my pregnancy was, I wasn't able to do so. Um, and then, honestly, leading up to the moment I was in labor, I was sick as a dog. When did you actually tell your family when you were pregnant? I told my family right away. Okay. Uh, I was scared as hell to tell my parents, um, not so much my dad, because my dad has always been like the understanding one, the calm one. I have never seen that man sweat a day in my life. Um, but my mom, I was really terrified to tell her. I mean, of course I came from a religious household, but I like to say we were, we're religious, but we're realistic too. Um, so 
I can't ever recall having the conversation, the birds and the bees conversation with my parents. It was just like sex was not something that they talked to me about. Um, they could have talked about it with my sisters, but I'm the youngest. So, you know, that conversation just might have skipped over me. Um, so I told my mom, um, I called her boohoo crying. Um, I told her, you know, I hadn't been feeling well. Um, my period hadn't came. And so she was like, um, okay, so like, are you going to go take a test? Like, what are you going to do? So I was like, well, I did take a pregnancy test. I am pregnant. And, you know, I just started crying because when going away to college, she had this same generic speech that she had with um, my older sister. And it's basically like, don't come home with any baggage. Um, and by baggage, she meant like, don't come home pregnant. Um, like, go to school, do what you're supposed to do, come back with your degree, and let, you know, let that stuff fall in line how they should. So I was almost mortified to tell her. Um, but in telling her, I feel like that just opened up a new door for our relationship. And we actually, um, it was kind of something that we bonded over. So in, in telling her she was so supportive, I was like, honestly, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I want to, if I want to keep this baby. Like abortion is, is very much so in my, in my consideration at this moment because I am in school, because there are other things that I have planned for myself. I plan on going to grad school. Like I, I, I think I still want to become a nurse. I, I didn't want to move back home. I wanted to, you know, move to Georgia or Texas, you know, after graduating and, you know, t hit the ground running. And so she was like, you know, pray on it. She was like, I, I can't tell you what to do. And she was like, you know, in in so many families, people, women get pregnant and they don't have any other choice but to get an abortion. And it's not something that they're allowed to talk about afterwards. It's just like they have to go through it by themselves and they don't have that support. But she's like, I'm here to tell you that no matter what it is you choose to do, I will love you no less. Mm -hmm. And that even now just just repeating those words, it brings tears to my eyes because that just goes to show how much, you know, a mother's love like knows no bounds. So she was like, if you choose to do an abortion, I want you to come home and do it. I want to be there to support you through that because that is not something that any woman should have to endure on her own. Yeah. She was like, and if you choose to go through with that pregnancy, great. She was like, because at one point in time, we weren't even sure if you would be able to have kids because I was a junior in high school and I found out I had endometriosis. And so in doing my own research, I was like, man, like, I don't even know if a child is possible. And then, of course, when having sex is not like, okay, I can't get pregnant. Like, that was never a thought. Um, but I had never gotten pregnant. Um, and so in talking to someone very near and dear to me at church, um, his name is Ricky Nutt. He's actually the um, son of our pastor. And in talking to him, he didn't, he didn't ridicule me. Like, it was just like talking to, like talking to you guys or talking to another friend. And he was like, look, there's so many women out there who, you know, 
they have the same debate with themselves, abortion or, you know, keeping this child. And he was like, honestly, there's, there's no right or wrong answer because only you know what you have to go through and only you can live with that decision. But he was like, it's not to say that if you were to go through with it, like, it's not impossible that, you know, that you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to do it. Um, and like, in terms of being a great man, like, you know, age doesn't define that. And so he, you know, he told me about a story about his sister who had got pregnant young. Um, and I think in just having that conversation and then just having that reassurance from my mom and just, you know, talking to my therapist at the time, it was just, it became almost like a no brainer. Um, and I tell my friends now who are pregnant and, you know, they might be scared or anything. I never, you know, tell them what to do, but I always tell them my child has changed my life and I can't thank her enough. It's just amazing to see how someone as small as children, how powerful they are. And she has literally changed my life for the better. And I tell people all the time, that little girl has saved my life because yes. I didn't realize how the things that I was doing in my life were like spiraling out of control and could have essentially cost me my life one way or another. And she just was like a center block in the road, like stop. Yeah. And so I thank her all the time for changing my life, for just being that reminder, for being that light um, at the end of the tunnel and just like a constant reminder. Um, so, yeah, needless to say, it, uh, it has been an experience um, and it, it was one I wouldn't change for the world, for sure. Yeah. Your story, your portion about the conversation with your mom, like it just hits in a way that it's that moment when your mom sees you as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that she knows all these things that we talked about before, like that moment a woman finds out she's pregnant, whether you have tried five years, whether it's an accident, whether it's, you know, all these different diff things that come around about pregnancy, like we all freak out even if it's for a yes, moment, right? Yes, yes, and just that your yes. mom was able to see you as a woman in that moment and, and, and help you to pause, right? Right. And help you have, put, plant your feet in that moment. Right. And yeah. I'm, that was just like in a very important moment. And I know some, some women miss that. Some women don't get that with their moms. Um, right. Especially think, when they're young and pregnant. Yeah. I think it's also, um, it's pretty interesting. And I find it so funny when, when people ask you, well, are you ready? Like, that's just a common question that you get. Like, if you're engaged and you're yep. about to be married or when you're pregnant, it's like, well, are you ready? Like, are you ready to be a mom? I'm like, okay, well, when is it that you're ever ready for something that you've never experienced before? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my question, my answer is always, I'm going to be as ready as I could be. Right. Like, yep. I don't know until she pops out and then I'm like, oh shit, it's real. Okay. I'm a mom now. Like, this isn't no playing with baby dolls. Like this is real. I'm really responsible for another life outside of my own. Right. Yep. right <laughs> even still now, like people are like, Oh my God, you're such a great mom. I'm like, believe it or not, I'm winging it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I think it's right. I, I don't think it's the right or wrong answer. Cause I mean, people write books all day long about how to be a parent. And I just, 
you can't write a book on how to be a parent. Everybody's parenting style is different. You know, what, you know, it's apple and oranges. Not everything is the same for everyone. Right. Even right. each child is different. I was just about to say that too. <laughs> like, people are like, oh, you've done it already. You'll know what to do. I'm like, no. <laughs> He's different. He's different. <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. I'm a whole right. different person. Um, for that child. For that yeah. child. So, yes, I think that's, you bring a really good point. People are like, are you ready? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every day is a new day. Exactly. The new experience as a parent, for sure. Mm-hmm. For never sure. a dull moment either. Ever. No, especially, <laughs> I'm sure you have a three-year-old. Uh, that's, that's just fun anyway. Yes. <laughs> and sass and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, so in thinking about how your pregnancy was going um, and the conversation with your family and like starting, how were you then um, preparing for your birth? Um, what, what were the preparations for that? Was that something you were even thinking about? Honestly, it wasn't much of a thought. I knew for sure I wanted to take a birthing class. Um, so her father and I, we, we did that. Um, and I, that was really, it was really great for him because it wasn't a lot of babies in his family. Like his sister was the youngest, or now I take that back. He had the cousin who was the youngest, but his cousin and I are about a year apart. I'm 20, I was 22 at the time. So she was about uh, 19, 20. Um, and then they had just had his niece maybe the year before I got pregnant, like September, 2015. So that was their first baby that they've had in family and like, so many years um so for him just like learning about how to bathe the baby how to you know burp um just things to help me while I was pregnant that was great for him but you know my I have a lot of nieces and nephews so this wasn't this was like a cakewalk for me like okay I know how to do this the only thing that I feel like the birthing class definitely helped me with was um just things to do when I was in pain um that really helped um and learning to listen to my body um and then i think what really i would say stuck with me was there was a pamphlet that they had provided us with um that lists all the different pain medications that you could ask for while in labor and then in one of the columns it would say whether or not that medication would get transferred to the baby and how it would affect the baby and it was at that moment that I knew I wanted to have a natural birth I already knew I had extremely high pain tolerance and I know my mom I think she said with my sister she didn't have an epidural or it was either with me she didn't have epidural I believe it was with my sister she didn't have epidural and I've she and I both know I have a high high tolerance for pain so I was like okay this is nothing like I can do this. Um, so a lot of people was like, oh, you're crazy. Like, you're going to get epidural. Like, and my sister, she, our daughters are four months apart. So she, she already knew I'm back. She was getting epidural. Like, I'm, she was like, watch, you're going to get epidural. I was like, okay, we can put money on this. Like, I'm not going to do it. And it's so funny. Um, it's like, God has a crazy way of working. It's like, okay, you said you want a natural birth. It's going to get as natural as it's going to get. And that's, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Got it. Yes. I, I'm glad. I, I think that that's 
the it's always interesting to hear the pieces that people leave with with like hospital pamphlets or education courses um but having that simple tool of like okay here's all the medicines and this is how it affects baby is i like to hear that, that that's something that was you know given out without there having to be this um it not having I, I feel like most education courses kind of just skip like not skip over it but it's not like a um a key point of conversation the in hospital like classes that i've attended it's like there's this assumption that everybody's just going to get epi an epidural right so it's like there's no conversation around like oh here's this is what that might look like or here's what all of that is so in case you don't want to do that you have that information. Right. So when you think about your actual birth experience, can you share that with our audience? Um, so I was due October 9th, 2016. And that is actually my dad's birthday. So um, he wanted to go to a concert for his birthday. And um, He's like, are you sure this is something you want to do? Like, you're due. I'm like, dilated. So, you know, walking at this concert and going to this concert should help. Like, I am almost for sure day after I'm going to go into labor because I have been walking and um, dancing, eating spicy foods, had sex. Nothing was working. But, like, I went to my appointment, was not dilated. I had went to my appointment maybe um my October 9th was like a Sunday I want to say so I went to my appointment that Friday and she she was like okay she was like you're not dilated and if nothing happens over the weekend I want you to come in and get a membrane sweep I heard how painful those were and I just was like okay that's not it's not natural to do a membrane sweep like so I'm, I was like no that's not something I wouldn't do so I'll go to the concert me and my dad um and my child's father and it's a, people are like well how far along are you with your due date i'm like today they're like oh you got to be crazy <laughs> so we're at we're at the concert nothing happens um fast forward um i'm still not in labor in the middle of the week i'm crying i'm like what is wrong with me like god what is wrong with me like i'm not dilated I am overdue, I'm miserable. Like I was crying every day because I was miserable at this point. So that Thursday night, I was told by a medical assistant um, at my OBGYN that she had induced her own labor using castor oil. And it was something I had heard before. And so she was like, you know, if this is something you wanna try, just take two tablespoons. So I went to Walmart Thursday night, Got me some castor oil, some orange juice, took it, ate dinner, laid down at about, I'd say I laid down probably about 7.30. By 10.30, all hell broke loose. I felt like I had been hit by an Amtrak train. Like, it was contractions like crazy. And like I said, I have a really high tolerance for pain. So I'm in my, I'm in my bed. My parents are asleep. Um, my daughter's father, he is at his at his home. Um, he lives about 20 minutes away. And so I'm, I'm timing myself. 
and they were consistent for I'd probably say it was three one one for like a good hour before I even called the um, labor and delivery. So I told them I said, "Hey, I'm in labor. I've been contracting for the last hour for like a minute. Um, they're a minute apart." And so um, they're like, well, I see you just came in on such and such date and you weren't dilated. So more than likely, like, there's no need for you to come in. But I'm like, no, listen, I am telling you I am in labor. Like, they said to call when it's 411. I'm telling you it's 311. Like, I am in labor. They were like, yeah, no, call back later. I'm like, okay. So mind you, my parents are asleep. I'm not making any noise. I am just, like, breathing through this, like, just working through it by myself. So um, I get up to go make a snack. I call my cousin. I'm like, hey, I think I'm in labor. Um, and so she's just on the phone with me. Like, I'm not saying anything. She's just like, breathe through it, breathe through it. She's like, let me know when another one is coming. So I would tell her when another one was coming. And she was like, it's good to eat a snack. Like, because ain't no telling the next time you're going to eat. So then... Um, it got so bad to the point where I couldn't talk. She was like, you need to call them again. So I call, the lady asks for my name. I couldn't give my name out because that's how bad it was. And so she's like, okay, come in. So at that point, labor probably started at 10 o'clock. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning at this point. So I wake up my parents. I'm like, hey, you know, Daniel's about to come and get me. I'm in labor. So my mom's like, oh shit, it's time, it's time, it's time. And like my mom will panic over anything. Like, so she is the last <laughs> one you want to tell if it's like emergency because this woman is going to panic. So my dad was like, okay, okay, not, not a big deal. So my dad um, comes in the room, helps me get dressed. And remind, mind you guys, I took the castor oil. When I say it was like a scene from a scary movie, the way I threw up, like that shit propelled. Like, it was like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was so sick. Like, I was like, oh, I was like, I would never do this again. Oh, God. Um, so no. Her dad picks me up, rushes me to the hospital, and he is, like, flying like a bat out of hell to make sure that we get there. But I'm like, every little pothole, because Bay Area, we are notorious for potholes, it, it just is like hell. I'm like, be careful, please. So we get there, um, they put me in the wheelchair, he takes me upstairs, um, they hook me up, all the stuff, put me on the monitor, they're like, oh yeah, like you're contracted, I'm still throwing up like crazy, um, and so the doctor comes in, and at this point I'm out of it because I'm tired, I've been laboring at this point for like five, six hours, I'm just out of it. Um, my nurse at at the time she was she was good i'll give her that but the doctor didn't really care so much for her she just came off kind of arrogant she was a resident hot shit couldn't tell her nothing so she's like i'm gonna check your cervix and i still wasn't dilated or she said at that time i wasn't dilated so i'm like mm, okay so mind you my labor plan says no pain medication pain medication i Swear to you not, I don't remember giving her my consent. This woman dopes me up with morphine and sends me home. So I get released from the hospital because my mom told Daniel, she said, hey, you know, let me know when they admit you guys so I could be on my way. 
So he called and she was like, hey, are they admitting her now? He's like, no, we're on our way home. My mom was like, what? What sense does that make? So I get home at probably four or five o'clock in the morning, still laboring like crazy. Um, he goes to sleep for a couple hours and then my mom traded off with him. So she's walking the floor with me, rubbing my back. Um, I'm trying to breathe everything. And after that, I don't remember anything. I remember going into the bathroom and that's all I remember. Like I fell asleep in the bathroom because I only found relief in like really sitting. And at that point, like nothing from the birth class was registering. I remember she said like, you're going to feel like you have to take the biggest shit of your life. And at that point you need to push. None of that registered to me at that moment. So I'm like, oh my God, my stomach is killing me. Like this castor oil has fucked me up so bad. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. So I'm like, okay, let me run a hot bath. I get in the bath, nothing. So um, when I had fell asleep in the bathroom, Daniel had came in. He's like, Milan, wake up. Like, just go get in the bed. I'm like, no, like, leave me here. Don't touch me. Like the bathroom was cool. Like it was just, it was relieving. So then after I got out the bathtub, I feel my legs giving out. So I'm like, oh shit. So something told me to grab the mirror. I put the, I wear glasses. So like I'm blind as a bat without them. So I put the mirror in between my legs and I see hair. So I'm like, okay, I know hair does not grow there. I was like, mom. And she's like, just a second. I was like, no, come now. I was like, and I have the mirror in between my legs. I said, please don't tell me this is what I think it is. She's like, oh shit, it's her head, it's her head. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, like, oh my God, just leave me here. Just, I was like, I'm about to sit on this floor, like, call 911, just leave me here. And my mom was like, okay, okay. She's like, I'm about to sit on my, the floor. My dad's like, do not sit on the floor. He was like, come on, like, the hospital down the street, because I, I live close to Kaiser Richmond, but labor and delivery is Kaiser Oakland, so it's about 20 minutes apart. So my, I'm like, dad, no, don't touch me. Like, leave me here on the bathroom floor until paramedics get here. Like, I'm not going anywhere. He's like, no, like, we at least got to get you elevated. So he and um, he and my child's father, Daniel, they, they carried me to the next room, which is the guest room. And they laid me on the bed. And my mom's on the phone with dispatch. They're like, okay, put on a glove. Keep her from crowning until paramedics get there. My dad was like, Man, by the time paramedics get here, we could we could and took you down to the hospital. Like, and he's so calm in saying this. And then like <laughs> Daniel's panicking. He's like, oh my God, what to do, what to do. And my dad's like, bruh, it's no time to panic now. Like, <laughs> this is not the time to panic. So paramedics get there. And my dad had asked me while I was pregnant if he could be in the room. Cause I can't even I can't recall him ever being in the room for any of his grandchildren. And my child is number 10. They now have, I think. 13, 14 grandchildren, my child's number 10. Um, and so I was like, no, like, that's just weird. Like, I don't want you seeing my coochie like that. No. And he was like, man, he's like, I have four daughters. Like, and I didn't see enough coochie in my lifetime. Like, <laughs> I'm like, dad, no. Um, so sure enough, my mom is in there. It's um, me and Daniel and my mom, paramedics, fire department. And my mom is like talking to me. They're both like holding my hand. My mom's like rubbing my head, like it's okay. Like just breathe, breathe. Remember the breathing exercises. I looked at her. I was like, shut up. Shut up. Like just stop talking. 
She was like, okay, say no more. She was like, okay, oh, <laughs> my coffee. <laughs> so my dad goes in there. And I was like, I don't, I don't want nobody talking. Like, if it's not the paramedic, don't say a word. Don't tell me I'm doing a good job. Like, just, I just want peace and quiet. So um, they had me on the, they put an oxygen on me because I was hyperventilating. Um, and I asked them for saline because I just felt like the ring of fire. Like that ring of fire that they speak of is no joke. So, so they sprayed me down with saline. And I remember the paramedic's name. His name was Gino. He said, uh, I said, can I push? He said, push whenever you're ready. Three pushes in probably a matter of three minutes, she was out. They wrapped us up um, because they put us on the gurney and they rushed us to the hospital. Um, at that point, I hadn't delivered my placenta, so I was still contracting and I was in a lot of pain. Um, we arrived to back at the same hospital that released me. And I kid you not, it was like a scene from like Grey's Anatomy. It's so many people in the room. It's like probably about 20 people in the room, a team for me, a team for her. And everybody is trying to figure out how this happened. Now at this point, Daniel is livid. Like he said that I told the doctor, do not release me because I am going to give birth. I guess because I was so out of it, I don't remember. But he was like, that was your exact words to the doctor. And here we are, two and a half, three hours later. And I have my daughter laying on my chest. So they're like, wow. how did this happen? He's going off. Like, she told them not to release her. She's been in labor. We were just here. They were like, yeah, we see she was just here. Like, that's what we're trying to figure out. So, you know, everything was fine. My daughter was fine. Um, I lost a lot of blood, however, after delivering the placenta. And I was like shaking uncontrollably because I was so cold and just out of it and I had to get stitches it was just it was a lot it was it was so funny because my grandma she was in her late 80s at the time and she had her caregiver bring her to the hospital they somehow beat the paramedics <laughs> and she was like just standing there waiting for me to get mm -hmm. gurneyed in it was the cutest thing um but yeah like it was so funny I saw my nurse from that night a day later after I had my daughter and she was like, she was looking at me like she knew me. I was like, you remember me? Like, remember I said I was going to have the baby. I had her a couple hours later after you guys released me. She was like, no shit. Like you've got to be kidding. Yeah. So I say that to say like, trust your body, advocate for yourself. Um, and unfortunately just with my birthing experience in itself from being sick the whole 10 months, just to the, the, negligence that I received while in labor it just almost makes me scared to even want to have another child um or even have a child in a hospital setting I probably wouldn't even go that route like I I'm now informed of a doula um home birthing centers so I would more than likely go that route and to advocate for myself because if I would have known the outcome I would have just stayed in the lobby I wouldn't have left Mm -hmm. uh, because not everybody is as lucky as me where they have somebody at home. I could have been by myself. My mom was supposed to go to work that day. My dad was supposed mm -hmm. to go to work that day. Um, so I could have been left at home by myself. Um, I could have been driving myself, you know, just, it's a lot of things that could have happened. Um, and that could have went wrong. And you can, you hear people who give birth at home and, you know, aren't so lucky. And, 
Um, I'm not sure what states you all are in, but here in California, when you when you give birth at home, you know, it's not like the hospital where they automatically give you a birth certificate there. You have to go and do all that stuff yourself. So that was like a whole nother thing. After she was born, I had to fill out papers. I had to go to an interview and bring her and they had to look at her and listen to her to make sure that she was actually breathing and she wasn't like this, this corpse or anything. Um, it's just like, and I had to bring my mom to the interview to attest that I in fact did give birth at home. Mm-hmm. And so that was another thing. And so mm-hmm. when I did that, they didn't even put her dad's name on the birth certificate. And I'm like, why isn't his name on the birth certificate? They were like, oh, well, he has to be here. I'm like, why ain't that about a bitch? Like, if that was the case, he would have came the first time. Like, are you assuming that my child's father is not in the picture? Like, just as a black woman, there's all these other right. things that pop up. Like, okay, is he not in the picture? Do I not know who my child's father is? Like, I know who my child's father is. He is very much so present. I want his name on the birth certificate. So I had to not only go through that once, but I had to go through it twice to get another birth certificate with his name on it. And in order to do that, he had to sign a petition of paternity stating that he knew for sure he was a father. So it was, it was a lot. And this was just like in the first three months of her life that I had to, you know, deal with all that. So needless to say, it was, it was quite the experience for my first child. Absolutely. I heard you say that you bled out quite a bit, and was it deemed a true hemorrhage then? Honestly, I, I can't even say they ever even told me. Okay. Um, it would be in your medical I, records, though. I didn't have to get a blood transfusion locally, um, so mm-hmm. my guess is that it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Um, mm-hmm. But I know they did make sure to put, um, put me on iron afterwards. And I had to get my right. iron levels tested um, for a little bit afterwards. Right. That, that's a lot. And you consider if you had done that at home um, and bled out like that at home, like that, that was negligent. But I, under, I get them saying you weren't dilated, but were you truly not dilated or is your cervix high? Like, was it? Like, right, you know what I mean? right. Like, Right. You go from, and not, don't get me wrong about precipitous birth. Clearly, you had that, but like, you had a very quick labor in general. But the fact and that everybody mom, keeps saying you weren't dilated, but to get from zero to ten like that, right? I feel and so like my somebody mom wasn't said that right. she she dilated really quick, and she okay. went from zero to ten really quick to the point where when she was in labor, the nurse could feel it disintegrating in oh, their hands. Okay. So she was like, yeah, you know, you're probably like me. Like, it just, it happened so quick. So and it's like, like, did you feel your water break? I didn't feel my water break. So it could have, could have broke when I was in the, in the bath or it could have not broke at all. Like, I, I didn't feel it. Right. Right. But right. I'm like, if somebody have to break. <laughs> with contractions that consistent, I got questions. I was gonna hold you for a little bit, right? Like, <laughs> can I keep you in for observation for a little bit? Like, and you're not dilating. Like, I want to really see what's going on for a little bit. So, just the sim and and giving you medicine without your consent. That part. That. Right. That. Did you tell me I was getting something? Right. 
Right. Those are two different. Something. Those are two different things. Asking and telling me are two different things. Exactly. Um, Especially morphine. When I'm in labor and you're sending me home. Right. That's why I was so out of it. Like it was just. It was in a day. going to observe me now that you. Right. And they have to have been through an IV, right? Yep. And I, I also think about um, you saying your dad wanted to be in the <laughs> the birthing space with you. And I think about how, like, it is such an intimate um, situation. Like, yes, our parents care for us and our parents know us. But it is a different type of intimacy to have um, a parent in that space with you. But also, I think their comfort level and your comfort, like both parties' comfort levels have to be on the same um, point. But I do think it's also, a, I'm, and I'm making this assumption, rare to have parents who are like, at least fought on the father's end to be like, yes, I want to be a part um, of that birth. Because I think that intimacy can sometimes be really scary of what that, what that might look like, what that might um, feel like for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I'll be interested to know. Yeah, just kind of his thought process in the moment. Like, was he just like wanting to make sure you were good and not wanting to leave the room? You know what I mean? Or was it like, because you said he's like Mr. Cool, calm, and collective. So I'm just like, everybody's freaking out. And he's like, do I need to stay in this room? Right. Because <laughs> like these two over here. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, right. He, I've never see my dad sweat under any circumstance like just and even like dealing with family death he he's not one to be hysterical um he's very very reserved and my my grandmother his mom was like that too like just very cool nothing bothers them like it's like dang like I wish I could just not panic like that um, I think as I've gotten older, I've just, I've learned not to panic and freak myself out. But yeah, I've never, ever seen my dad, like, fret. Yeah, that's the type of energy we need in a birthing space. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. But it is different, like, having your dad and me, mm-hmm. like, making that kind of distinction, like, hold on, dad. Hold up. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I remember we had, um, my parents were in my father and my father-in-law were both there for my first child's birth. And the conversation for everybody was I'm going to be naked. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to be naked. So you have to figure out if you're okay with that. I'm going to be naked. I'm not covering up for nobody. I'll be just butt out. <laughs> if you're okay, fine. If that's going to bother you, you have to figure out how to create space for that because I'm going to be naked. <laughs> sure. Um, but I also think about this, this concept, and we've heard this before, of care providers um, being like, don't push or make sure that hold they it. Around, hold it. Like, we don't have control over these sensations a baby is going to come exactly who's already crowning right <laughs> she's all here like right. we're here I it's like, happening in the event that i were i were to ever have another child 
uh, I'm just going to listen to my body and just let it do what it do. Because you think about it, our, our grandmothers and, you know, their siblings and in their time, they didn't, they weren't nearly as medically advanced as we are now. And they didn't have a choice but to listen to their body. Um, and God is just so amazing where he has created our body to know what to do. Absolutely. Um, and so it's just like, I need to learn to trust my body and not medication and not mm -hmm. what doctors tell you because we all know it's a money game. Like, okay, if they, if they induce me, that's more money for them. If I get a C-section, it's really more money for them. Uh, so just let let your body do its work and trust your body. Not to say don't listen to your doctor, but listen to it. Take what you feel is necessary from it and also do your own research. Absolutely. It has to be all of those parts in one. It has to be all of those parts in one. Being an active participant in your own care, right? Yeah. Not just being told what to do, when to do it. Um, right. Um, and I think that's something so common. A lot of times um, people assume because of my age and because of my racial background, because I'm, I'm black and young, that I... I'm not knowing. I'm I'm ignorant, um, and I don't know how to advocate for myself without you know using profanity or without getting loud or without using hand gestures. Um, so when I do these things in a calm manner, where I'm not yelling, I'm not using profanity. I'm not trying to reach behind the desk. They're almost taken aback. And they're surprised at how well I can conduct myself, whether it's for my own care or advocating for my child's care. Um, and just recently, there was a situation where um, I was going back and forth with my child's dermatologist. And I was telling her I wanted a second opinion. I wanted a second opinion. She was like, well, you know, you can, I can give you a referral to go to another another Kaiser dermatologist. I said, well, why would I want to go to another referral? to another dermatologist that's within Kaiser. All they're going to do is pull up her chart and see what you have already told us, and they're just going to go along with it because you're, it's keeping the money within. They don't, you guys don't want to lose anything, so you don't want to refer me out. And the moment I said, per my patient's rights, I am entitled to a second opinion where I so choose, her eyes, like, bulge, like, oh, shit. Like, she knows her rights. She knows she has Checkmate. some like, yeah. and she was like, well, well, I'll talk to my super supervisor. I said, do what the fuck you got to do, but you're not about to play with my child. Hmm. And sure enough, I got that referral elsewhere. Really? I'm like, don't, don't play with me, sis. I'm, I'm not the one. It's just as simple of like, let us l listen to us. And um, understand that while we may not always have the terms that Matt are saying, we know what's happening to us. Exactly. That's it. Like that. That's it. Um, but I, I think about, um, you know, going back to your birth a little bit, I think about 
you leaving off with like your hesitation and fear for your next pregnancy and birth. Um, and I think it's always a reminder when people have those sentiments or positive or negative about birth that births like do live and sit with us and have an impact on our decisions and our responses to what would happen next in our life. And that's why birth experiences are so important um, because they do, do affect like our future and, and our thoughts around like what will be next for us um, exactly. and why they should be treated with so much um, care because, you know, when you have those situations of not being listened to or a rough birth or a rough pregnancy um, or a birth that was completely left field from what you thought it was going to be, that that's going to impact your thoughts around, okay, can I, will, am I willing and can I do this next time? Right. So that's, that's. Right. And it can also affect your, your parenting and just that immediate postpartum, right. long-term postpartum. Um, so how was postpartum for you, Milan? Postpartum was rough. Um, I indeed endured postpartum depression. Um, that's another thing um, that I want to be sure to share. Postpartum depression doesn't have a timeline. Um, however, it is very necessary to recognize it and get the help that you need. Um, therapy was something that I was never consistent with as a child and growing up for things that I had went through. Um, like I would go, um, but I wasn't really engaged in it. Would never go back. Um, if I did go back, it might be, you know, six, seven months down the line after something else has happened and re-triggered those things. Um, but I will say after having my child, I, I took therapy seriously and I did the work that was necessary and it showed. And even still to this day, three years later, I, I still go to therapy and just to see where I was versus where I'm at currently is almost like a 180. Um, and I, I strongly encourage moms who are going through postpartum depression. If therapy isn't something that you want to, you know, go to or, um, use as your means of coping for postpartum, get involved in mommy groups, um, play groups, go on a walk, find somebody that you can talk to and maybe get an unbiased opinion from or somebody that you feel safe with talking to and can confide in because you can't, you can't hold that, all that in. Um, otherwise, you're going to explode um, or it can manifest into other things like, you know, psychosis or other mental health issues um but you want to you want to get a handle on it don't wait till it's too late where you have are thinking about taking your life or you're thinking about taking your child's life or you're thinking about taking both of your lives it postpartum depression is real postpartum emotions the roller coasters that you go through it is very much so real and don't ever feel like because you've never dealt with mental health issues or you haven't dealt with emotional roller coasters or depression that you are exempt. Postpartum knows no name. It knows no colors. It knows no cultures, no bounds. No one is exempt from it. 
How long did it take for you to realize that that's what it was when you were going to postpartum depression? Mm, I would, I would, I would say almost instantly, um, because I knew depression was something that I've dealt with throughout my life. So I, I knew more than likely, given my initial thoughts when I first found out that I was pregnant. Um, and that it wasn't necessarily a joyous occasion for me that I would probably endure postpartum depression. Um, so I would say after, I think she might have been about three months, I went to my first appointment. Um, so I didn't, I didn't wait long at all. It was like the first and soonest available appointment I could get, I got it. Um, I really like that you brought up that you know, postpartum depression or in general, postpartum anxiety, all of those, that there's no timeline to that, that it's not like, oh, I have the baby and then right away things show up. Um, it could be three months down the line. It could be sometimes a year. It could be maybe even after that. It could be um, something that like you ebb and flow through throughout your postpartum, but that um, it is, it it's something that doesn't have like strict guidelines on, okay, you're go you, if you, if you're going to have postpartum depression, it's going to happen at this time. Um, right. Because as you're moving through your postpartum, things are happening that could either um, cause it to manifest faster or cause it not to come up or it be look different for everyone. So that really, I think when we think about um, the care for, birthing people after they've had a baby that we're really mindful that everything isn't going to show up at once if it's going to show up and be in giving space for that for sure okay. definitely um, and I'm so glad to hear too that you were like I need to get a handle on this and like you said like you had done some of that work early on but that you were very um intuitive and like I need to go get support to help me work through this yeah, for sure. Um, and once I accepted the fact that I needed help and that change was something that I wanted, then the work got much easier mm. because you can have loved ones who have, you know, addiction problems and you can ask them to go to rehab and get help. But if that's not something that they want for themselves and that change is not something that they want, they can go to rehab. And they can go for the full duration of that program, but that change isn't going to happen until they accept that change is something that they want. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's work involved to, yes. to, to work. Not easy work. It is not easy at all. Yeah. And especially on top of, like, thinking about postpartum, you still have to take care of someone. Oh, and God forbid, <laughs> you the, yeah. yeah yes because yeah. there's that too like people i mean breastfeeding is no easy task and then like you said adding postpartum onto it so one day you might not have pumped as much milk as you did the previous day and that will set you off you will be crying because what is wrong with me like i can't even get six ounces today like all those thoughts are real it is real yeah. Um, and, and thinking about how stress and, and yeah. that affects your milk supply. Definitely. Um, so, yes. 
there are so many layers um, to unfold when we think about postpartum and, and dealing with postpartum mental health and um, that the amount of like, yes, we, we want people, we want people to do the work, but I think also having good support systems so that you can be able to do the work and still be able to manage and take care of yourself and your child. Um, Definitely. I think that's just as important too. Um, for sure. Yeah. And how, I mean, how I did your, that, yeah. go ahead, Danielle. How did your family uh, provide support to you during that time? What did that look like? Too? They definitely encouraged me to go to therapy. Um, and if I had a therapy appointment and um, I needed some, I needed my mom to, you know, watch her or, or I needed my dad or, you know, her dad to keep her, they were, they were definitely supportive of it. Yeah, that's, that's important. That's so important. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we really, really appreciate that. We know that it is not always an easy time um, to be able to, to have to go and flow through that again. So we're very appreciative of you sharing your experience with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, of course. Is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with, whether that's resources, advice, anything else from your birth? The only thing would be just to encourage, you know, any moms out there who are pregnant, looking to get pregnant, or who have recently given birth, listen to yourself. If help is what you need, don't be afraid to ask for it. Um, don't be ashamed. Don't feel less than because you need help. Um, if you are pregnant and you are just having a rough time with your pregnancy, um, do your research, tap into your resources, try different things. Um, and it, it's all about just talking and sharing information. I feel like it, it helps a lot. Um, it does us no good to hold on to information. Um, it really doesn't. Um, feel free to, you know, ask me questions. Um, if you don't feel comfortable enough, you know, talking to your family about it. Because um, I know not everybody has that support that I did. Um, however, I am one that is more than happy to give advice to anyone who asks and to share um, my thoughts and suggestions. And that is needed. We need people who are willing to talk and share. <laughs> right. So needed. And yeah. it's um and hearing it from someone that has experienced it on some level is right. what brings it to be like more accepted and more easily digested. Like, okay, so she's went through this and not everybody's situation is the same, but I get that she's really been through it. Um and so it just helps. It helps to people to feel like they're not alone. Um that they're not an anomaly, like just like this is only happening to me. Like even when your mom said after you've had this birth and told you then, like, oh yeah, I had really quick dilations too. And it was like, okay, now it clicks. It's like this makes sense now, right? I didn't just come in and nobody understands how I had a baby so quick and there's my mom and it all makes sense now. And so like just sharing that information alone it just helps. It's helpful. And I just thank you for sharing your story as well and being willing to talk to other moms or future moms um, during this time. 
because people do have just lots of questions when they're pregnant. And it's better to ask another woman than to get on Google and ask exactly. <laughs> and get all the internet information. Although it's a good thing, it's still like bring it all together. Just kind of like you said, like getting all the information you can together. And make Thanks your own for choices. listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.